be allowed to introduce a pastor who says he needs no introduction. Pastor Adrian Doss. I must confess to you the numbers that you have are low because uh, this morning <coughs> we had uh, a baptism, two baptisms in fact, uh, uh, Travis Chumley was baptized, and then Travis and Laurel's son, uh, Alan, was baptized, and the whole uh, Able crew was with us, and I asked Todd, I said, so are you getting a double dip today? And he goes, no, I'm going home. I said, you can't handle it. And then uh, I saw Jan, and I, was, I thought, boy, what a warrior. And then her, her daughter said, well, no, she teaches uh, Sunday school, that's why she's here. <coughs> But uh, it was a wonderful and a glorious time to recognize and trust in God's goodness, his faithfulness, his sovereignty, his work of redemption and grace and mercy, for which we're very, very thankful. It's been a couple weeks since we've been in the book of Jonah, and you'll remember that we looked at verses 1 through 3 last time. And in those verses, we notice that, uh, that God has a heart both for the lost and for the found. And we see this running throughout the book of Jonah as God is pursuing not only the pagan, but also his servant Jonah, reflective of the greater people of God who is disobeying, running away, and doesn't have a heart for God. And so we saw that in verse 1 where God begins uh, to, uh, to ask Jonah to go speak the truth of the gospel to the people of Nineveh. But then, much like us, Jonah does not share God's heart for the lost. Instead, he has a problem not with the Ninevites. His problem really is with God, and we see this reflected in, in chapter 4, where he references, before I left uh, town, I had this conversation with God, and so we brought that in, and where he says, I knew that you were like this, God. And he's very angry with God. I knew that you were gracious. Wow. I knew that you were loving. I knew that you were slow to anger. That's why I ran away. Wow, what a lousy excuse. But we find him running away. And we recognize, remember, as we think about our lack of a heart for the lost, that oftentimes it's because we think we're okay. And God needs to do things the way he needs to do things towards us and often even sometimes, sadly, by our rules. And so we begin to lose a heart from God and we walk away in sinful disobedience. Now, sinful disobedience can often happen just in the regular realities of sin. And you'll remember that when we choose to walk away from God, as did Jonah, he's fleeing from the presence of God. We actually deny our own confession. We believe that God is everywhere at all time, and yet he tries to run away from Jonah, uh, from, from the presence of God. And then we find ourselves in a hurry to get away from God, and Satan will always bring forth that which you want to run away from God with or for, and uh, we see that there's a ship waiting for him, headed for Tarshish, exactly where he wants to go. And then we realize that Jonah much like the rest of us when he begins to sin, that he always will pay the price as Jonah got on board. And it says that he 
paid the fare. We run away from the grace, mercy free to us in Christ Jesus, often going to that which is alluring to us, but we will always, always, always pay the price. And so this morning we come to this passage, this, the rest of the passage in chapter 1, and we see God's discipline of his servant Jonah, but we also see God's heart continuing for, for the lost. That picture of God, that theme that goes throughout that God has a heart for the lost, God has a heart for the found, uh, for the found as well, and praise God for that. As we look at this passage, it's important for us as Presbyterians who uh, uh, are, um, we, we are very, we find church membership to be very important and church discipline to be very important. Now here is a wonderful, glorious reflection, if you would, of God's discipline upon us. Now I don't know if you realize that, that right now you are being disciplined. Now, that doesn't sound really good, and it's like, ugh, why would I want to come to church to be disciplined? But whenever we're admonished by the word of God, discipline always begins with the admonishment of another by the word of God, preached, spoken, studied, and our response. Meaning today, God is asking you to obey. God is asking you to trust. God is asking you to honor. God is asking you to exalt him above all else. And the question is, will we obey that? That's discipline, isn't it? As we begin to exercise by faith that which God is calling us to do. And as we step away from God, and I hope that you never uh, necessarily experienced this, but uh, we've had uh, a case of church discipline in our church in the last five or six years, to, which ended in excommunication. And as the sin kept going and as it was a lack of repentance, and this is very important to remember, discipline is not about sin. It's about a lack of repentance. Right? It's, a, it's about a lack of turning back to God. It's, a, it's, it's that desire to say, no, I know better than you, God. And I'm going to continue in the path that I want to go. And God disciplines. And we know that we have stages in our church of discipline that begins with the admonishment of the word of God, which continues throughout. And then if a person is unwilling to repent, we bar them from the Lord's Supper. That that might strike at their heart and cut to their heart and say, am I willing to give up the grace and mercy of God shown to me, applied to me within the elements for this thing that I love greater than God? And then we continue to admonish and as that's not obeyed or followed, then we get to that place where it's a fearful place to be where we turn a person over to Satan to be punished in his flesh that his soul might be saved. And I say that to you because in saying those words to another member of a church, it's a chilling reality and a fearful place to be. And yet, more fearful on their side than ours. And here we see Jonah seeking to run from the presence of God. And I can say to you, isn't it good news that God doesn't always get, give us what we desire, nor does he give us what we deserve. 
And as we go into this passage, I want us to notice three things. First, I want us to know the means of God's sovereign work. Now I want us to see how he uses that sovereign work for his glory among the lost. And then how we see his sovereign work among the found, i.e. Jonah. It's wonderful to see and know that God is a multitasking God, that he actually can do many things, unlike myself, uh, at the same time, and he does them all well, with purpose, and perfectly. I know that women multitask way better than men. I've been explained this time and again, and then I have sadly uh, shown that that is true in my own life. My wife left me, and that sounds really bad, doesn't it? For Michigan to go take care of her parents, right, for a week. Our children were small. The youngest was, uh, I, I forget how young. He could dress himself. That's all I knew. Well, she got home. <coughs> she got home and to the, tr- to the complaints of the children, Mom, we ate chicken the whole week. Dad cooked it one time and we ate it the whole week. And then she walks out in uh, the bedroom and she said, did you know Jack Jim t- changes underwear all week long? I said, he showed up dressed. I just assumed that. And I realized that there are so many things that moms keep track of that dads, frankly, don't care about. Anyway, but he survived. He's now in college and, and doing well. And uh, I don't ask him that question. very. But God, <laughs> sorry, but God multitasks in glorious ways. He's always working. He's actually working today in each heart. As God the Holy Spirit will take the word of God and will apply it so graciously and so gently and unwrap it as a gift to you where you're at at this moment. I know nobody's heart here. I barely know my own. But God the Holy Spirit knows exactly what he desires to give to you and apply to your heart. So as we walk through this passage, I want us to see, first of all, the sovereign means of God, the sovereign hand of God at work, and we're going to intertwine these all together. Look with me first at the sovereign work of God. It is Jonah who's seeking to run away from God, a foolish act, much like Adam and Eve trying to hide from God uh, with fig leaves that they have sown for themselves and hiding from God. But it says, verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And this should not surprise us that God would use the means of his creation for his sovereign bidding. We see it all over the scriptures as God uh, speaks and his creation must obey. Now the sailors are scared to death of this reality. This must have been some, some storm. These are seasoned mariners who've been on the seas and been through many storms, but they are frightened to the point that they are sacrificing to their gods and they come to Jonah and notice where Jonah is at. Jonah is in the, uh, in, in the uh, bottom of the boat fast asleep. Brothers and sisters, what a, What a condemning word for the church today. As the world goes inside out and upside down, and many are those that are crying against God, absolutely, but many are those who are crying for God. 
And yet often they find the church asleep in their own comfort, in their own safety, never speaking the word of God to others. And it didn't surprise Jonah. We read uh, later on that in verse 9, he knows exactly who God is and he knows exactly what God is doing. He says in verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the seas and the dry land. Again, notice how easy it is for us to lie in our own confessions. I fear the Lord. No, you don't. You're running away from God. Be honest with your sinfulness, that you may repent and truly come to fear the Lord. The second place we see God's sovereign hand at work is in the casting of lots. In verse 7, even those things that we think are by chance, God uses as means for his greater glory. So here are the, the, uh, the pagan sailors, and they're saying, let's cast lots to see whose fault this is on. Now you can almost imagine Jonah on the side going, should I just tell him now? <laughs> I know it's my fault. Actually, they know it's my fault because I told them that I was running away from God. But let's just do this. Maybe by chance the lot will fall on some other poor schmuck. And I'll be like that. Well, that's not going to happen and he knows it. Why? Because the sovereign God is at work and he is at work within these lots, not only to point out his servant Jonah, but actually to point the, the sailors to himself. And so even in the casting of these lots, there is, there is a sovereign hand of God. And then finally, we see the sovereign hand of God and the grace of God to Jonah at the end of the passage, which we'll look at later. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. We see God in this profound pursuit now, my sermon title is The Pursuing Heart of God. It's not that we're pursuing the heart of God. Actually, Jonah is not. Neither are we. But God in his grace is pursuing us. And he often does so in the midst of our sin, in, uh, in, uh, in severe mercies that he brings into our life to awaken our heart to who he is. And so here's these sovereign means that God is using. But notice where God is using them. Let's look first at the sailors. We shouldn't be surprised that God is constantly at work and anyone he is drawing and calling unto himself. Uh, Jonah wasn't surprised by the, shit, uh, by, by the, the storm, but the sailors were. Uh, they didn't know where it came from or what was going on. And I want you to notice in the sailors' response, three times we're, we're told that they were afraid. First of all, we were told in verse 5 that they were afraid of the storm. That shows us the magnitude of the storm, the lack of control they had in, in the sight of God, in all that he was doing. And they were brought to fear in the midst of something they thought before they could control. Then upon hearing the confession of Jonah about God, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, uh, the God, and then he mentions of heaven and earth, these elements. Now all of a sudden they recognize that they are in a place where they've never been. In antiquity, people who often traveled would bring their gods with them. 
because their gods were territorial gods, and they were, you know, it, it, sorry to use this uh, as an example, but, it, but it, it's kind of like our modern-day cell phones, right? Their gods needed, uh, we needed hotspots where they could plug in. Because after a while, if you were out of range of your God, then he had no control over what he could do for you. And that was the limited understanding of God in antiquity. But Jonah says, I don't serve a regional God. I don't serve a God who is bound in time and space. I don't serve a God who is weak in being able to connect with you if you're far away. I serve the God of heaven and earth. And notice what happens, if you would, in verse uh, 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 in, uh, in this response to this confession. They hear this confession, and then it says that they were exceedingly afraid. Boy, now they're in real hot water. One is just a storm. Okay, that's a big one. But now we know that behind the storm is God. And he is the God of heaven and of earth. Boy, there's nothing to be done at that point for them. The first, storm is a, uh, uh, the first fear is a fear of a storm or nature. The second is a fear of damnation. We have messed with the wrong God. And they recognize in the midst of this storm their own sinfulness as well. Then in verse 16... Uh, after they told, they're told by Jonah to throw him into the heart of the sea, we see a final fear. They begin to fear the Lord. They begin this process of saying, O Lord, verse 14, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood and then notice their confession this is incredible for you O Lord have done as you please wow you see that heart change we're scared of the storm oh there's a God behind the storm now the man of God who has confessed to us that he's running away from God he had already told us that but now we we really get it his God is really mad now we're begin, our hearts beginning to turn and we begin to say uh, oh Lord you have done as you have pleased They've tried everything in their own strength. They've tried everything in their own might. And now they try God. And isn't that much like many of our friends and our families? Isn't that much like our own testimonies very often? We try, we try, we try. We try to be good. We try to do well. We try, we try even within the church. We come and we do our thing. And then finally, we get caught by God. What a wonderful place to be, to be caught by God. I remember witnessing to a Chinese uh, um, uh, student at Illinois State University when I was with InterVarsity. And uh, his English was pretty good, uh, but kind of, it was hard theologically to talk about this. And so we were talking, he came over to our house all the time for dinner. And so I was trying to help him to understand uh, how God was uh, moving towards him, and he's a God of might, and he's a God of power. And so I used this example. I said, it's kind of like a mighty army that you can do nothing about, and you try in all of your might, 
And then one day you just have to surrender it into the power and the might of this army. I said, that's what God is like. He is pursuing you with might and power and grace and love and justice. And it's time to just surrender. Stop and get caught by God. A number of days later, he calls and he goes, Adrian, I surrendered. And I knew exactly what he meant. That he had given his life to God. He had been trying to run. He'd been trying to do it all himself. And he just simply surrendered. And that's what these, these pagan uh, uh, sailors are doing. And then maybe more uh, amazing to them is after they throw Jonah into the sea and this tempest stops. This tempest stops. It stops us raging in verse 15, and we are told in verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. And I would suggest to you that in this moment where God is disciplining his servant, using the storm, he is also using the very same storm and the very same circumstances to draw pagan soldiers unto himself. They go from being afraid of a storm to being afraid of God to being afraid of damnation for throwing his prophet into the sea. The sea ceases and now they're exceedingly, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And then notice what their reaction is. They offer sacrifices to the Lord and they make vows to God. And I would suggest to you that this, this fear is the fear of the redeemed. It's a holy fear, isn't it? It's the fear that allows us to recognize that we have been saved by grace and that God has been good to us and he has been gracious and he has been loving. And how wonderful that even God, as he disciplines Jonah with severe mercies, is revealing himself to sinners in need of his grace. That's exactly what we see in in the New Testament, don't we? Where God, where God through his son, uh, the Lord Jesus, who is asleep in the boat, isn't he? And a storm arises and the disciples come to him in Matthew chapter 8. And the disciples cry, Lord, save us. For we are going to perish. These disciples who knew God, much like Jonah did. They knew the Lord and yet they're afraid. Uh, they were fishermen, so they knew storms. Lord, save us, for we're going to perish. And he would later go down to the grave and rise. Uh, He who would later go down to the grave arose and rebuked the wind and the waves, and they became calm. And it says the disciples marveled, saying, What kind of man is this, that the wind and the waves obey him? How good of our God who lives in glory eternal to come to earth and do the very same thing in a very different way to bring the same reverent fear to the hearts of his, uh, those that love him. So where's our heart today? Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you haven't really trusted Christ as your Savior. And maybe there are moments and times that are overwhelming to you. And I would encourage you, like my friend, my, my Chinese friend, surrender. You're never going to beat the Lord. He is pursuing you like a hound from heaven. And he will pursue you until he gets you. And there is no uh, turning from that. And so I encourage you, even in the midst of whatever storm it is, come to fear and know the Lord, to trust in the one who calms the storm before you. But then we come to Jonah. And many of us might look, and I actually had a friend, we were studying Jonah, and, uh, and a member at our church who said, I've never heard Jonah, and I've never heard this passage seen as the love of God instead of the punishment of God. But isn't this the pursuing love of God? For Jonah, punishment, hell, would have been, like I said before, sipping margaritas on the beach at Tarshish away from the presence of God. I want to run away from God, and God says, okay, have at it. Off you go. See ya. We're lost for any eternity in the comfort of our own sin. That would have been hell. That would have been punishment eternal. But this, my friends, is God's loving, gracious discipline towards those who run from him. So turn with me, if you would, uh, to Hebrews chapter 12 as we just finish off here as we look at, as we look at Jonah. And I want you to notice a couple of things about this passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. And just overlay this, if you would, in this passage here, this, this Old Testament passage, Jonah, a prophet of God, a representative of the greater people of God who are walk, walking away from God and God's pursuing love for him. Let me just read these couple of verses for us, these six verses, 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, when reproved by him. Why? For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have, have to endure. God is treating you Jonah, God is treating you as a son. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which uh, we all have to participate, then you are illegitimate children and not sons of God. That's the beach, beach in Tarshish thing, right? If that's where he had gone, he was not a legitimate son. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us and, and we have respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of, of spirits and the living? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For a moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields 
the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So let's just look, overlap this passage and notice a couple things about God's discipline here. Notice who discipline is for. Discipline is for those that God loves. He chastens everyone he calls his son. And I want us to notice, and it's very important for us, especially parents, never ever punish your children. I beg of you, never punish your children. Discipline them. Now, what does that look like? As we think about our children, if we punish them, we punish them because I'm mad. And you're going to get it as bad as I am mad. Right? Sadly, we've done that if we're honest with ourselves sometime or another. But dis- discipline and punishment are very different. When, we, when, our ch- uh, when our children sin against one another or against us, we come in with discipline. What does that mean? It's an opportunity actually to point to the cross. This, my son, is going to hurt. But it's not punishment, it's discipline. And why is it, pu- why is it discipline and not punishment? Because your punishment was taken on the cross. Because you sinned not against your sister or brother. You didn't sin just against me. You sinned against the holy and living God. And he took your sin and and the punishment that you and I deserved and he placed it on Jesus. So we, he took our punishment. And so now this is actually not necessarily just to correct what you've done. Jesus has taken that. This is for your future. And this is for your good. And it's because I love you that I'm about to discipline you. And all of a sudden, we're able to preach the gospel within every moment of discipline, helping our children to see the difference between punishment taken by Christ, pointing them to the cross, and the discipline of a God who loves enough to bring discipline to those He cherishes. So punishment is uh, the unrepentant sinner who fails to trust in God's grace and love and provision of his son. Discipline is for those who he loves and calls as sons. Second, I want you to notice that the nature and the purpose of God's discipline is for our good is that we would share in his holiness. In other words, that we would actually gain his heart. Jonah is running away from God because he doesn't like God. He doesn't share his heart for the lost. He isn't very much like God at all, and yet God in his grace pursues him so that he would actually gain God's heart. And he does that through this means of discipline. And so the storm uh, is, God's, is God's gracious, severe mercy to get uh, Jonah's attention, and he recognizes that, Jonah does. And where do we see that he recognizes it? He knows that God is in control. And so he asks, <laughs> it's interesting, he asks pagan sinners to throw him in to the sea. And I would suggest to us this morning that it is really our when we are caught in sin, that the only place where we can go is to throw ourselves 
into the great mercy and grace of God. Because it's only when we throw ourselves upon the grace and the mercy of God that we see the redemptive character of God, his heart, his love, and his mercy towards us. What is unpleasant in a moment becomes evident as Jonah begins to sink down, we will see next week, from uh, uh, sink down into the heart of the ocean. He may feel damned, and then the grace of God catches him. For God himself appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. See, God desires to give us more. And the way he shows that to us is through severe mercies and through his grace here in the means of another creature that God commanded to swallow Jonah. So think about your own lives for just a moment. And the many times where you have thought, maybe even falsely, God is mad at me. And I would say to you that there are times and places that some of us need healing. Why? Because we were not disciplined, we were punished. I've sat across the table too many times in counseling sessions with people who uh, were just beat within an inch of their life with a belt buckle. And they were punished because dad was mad and they were going to pay. And now as believers, they wrestle with the difference between discipline and punishment. God is mad and boy, am I going to pay. And I would ask us to change our perspective on God, change how we view God in light of this passage and in light of God's discipline. Consider maybe just the opposite. Consider maybe just that it is God in his grace pursuing you in love, though it may be painful in the moment. It is not actually his wrath that is taken upon Christ. It is his discipline because he calls us sons and daughters of the living God. Maybe God is showing your heart to you. Maybe he's showing you your sinfulness in light of his holiness. And I'd like you to ask a couple questions. So if you're wrestling with God's discipline, maybe ask a couple questions. Is what I'm going through now, I know that Christ has taken my punishment for my sin upon himself on the cross. Therefore, is what I'm going through now possibly discipline? See, now discipline doesn't, again, have to be a bad thing. It can actually be a place where God draws us deeper into his heart. Sickness can be a discipline at times. And sometimes as we have just recently noticed, it doesn't always end the way we would like it to. But in those moments, is God drawing us to a place where we are profoundly dependent on him? where we actually find more out of the pain and the suffering of God than we ever would if that was taken away from us. 
Ask God to reveal to you if there is an area in your life that you are knowingly or willfully, in which you're knowingly or willfully sinning or disobeying God. It might be the sin of omission. Or it might be the sin of commission, that, that which we do that we ought not to do, but then those things that we ought to be doing, but we actually are very intentionally not doing. Thank God for his loving discipline. Repent. Repent of those sins that, are, that you seek to run away from God and ask for God's forgiveness and ask him for a heart for him and for his heart for others. Ask him to strengthen your heart to obey him, to trust him, to rest in him, and to know him. And then move forward in godly obedience. We will see, sadly, that Jonah will start off well again, but then he'll go back. And that's how we often are as well. But in the midst of the trials of your life, Maybe just maybe God is actually not punishing you. Maybe he is actually disciplining us because he loves us. So instead of running away from his godly discipline, run to him in the midst of that discipline that you may gain a heart for God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that when we run away from you, when we feel distance from you, it's not because you have left us, but it's often because we have left you. And the psalmist in Psalm 139 says, Where can I go to flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go to the depths of hell, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will hold me fast. Father, thank you that you pursue us in love as a father, his son. Thank you that in your discipline, you're telling us that you love us, that we are your sons. We are not illegitimate, but we are yours. Thank you that punishment has been taken by Christ, and we can find our joy in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.